Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Good morning, everybody. So far, we've been looking at the series God With Us. We've been looking at the valley and the wilderness. And this morning, I'm going to talk about what is quite a difficult challenging subject. Well, I've certainly been challenged preparing it this week. God is with us in the storm. I'd like to read the scripture we've been looking at the last few weeks. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us in the storm. Now, You might not have ever been in a storm, but recently I was in Uganda with Neil. Sim was there, his brother Mark, and I know Jerry and Elspeth have come back, which is great. They're here this morning, and they were with us. The scary bit wasn't Jerry's driving. The scary bit was we were in the north of the country, and a storm just came out of nowhere. It really was. It was whipping up. The rain was coming down. We were on tiny roads that were turning to mud. And it was almost like we felt a Jurassic Park moment, where you can imagine a Tyrannosaurus Rex suddenly appearing in the front of the car. That didn't happen. We lived to say another tale, and the next morning the sun was shining, which often happens after a violent storm. Do you know what? Years ago, The scientists that studied storms, let me get this word right, the meteorologists, right? I've done my study on storms. The meteorologists used to name storms after their wives and girlfriends. You can imagine one husband going home saying, I've just named the next storm after you. And it happened to be a particularly violent, tempestuous one. They soon stopped doing that. But this morning, I'm going to unpack the truth of God is with us in the storm and when we have that storm in our life, and we will. We might be in a storm this morning. We might be approaching one. We might be out of a storm. But it is life. Guaranteed, at some point, there will be a storm. I'd like to read this scripture to you. It's a great one. God is our shelter and our strength. When troubles seem near, God is nearer and he's ready to help. No fear. When the storm spins out of control, we are sure and fearless. When mountains crumble and the waters run wild, we are sure and fearless. Even in heavy winds and huge waves, or as mountains shake, we are sure and fearless. Brilliant. And I, we had those verses, I don't know if you remember, Neil, God is our shelter and our strength, in 1985, printed on our wedding invitations. Now, I didn't know then of storms that were to come. Some were small. Some were like typhoons, through bereavement, through marriage difficulties, through family life, through work difficulties. It was hard, and at times I felt I got shaken. 
But I was challenged recently by the story of the Skylark, who only sings in the dark. And you know what? We need to learn to sing in the great times and in the darkness and in the storm, because life brings us great times. Let's celebrate those. But it also brings us the tough times as well. I love this story in the New Testament where Jesus sees his disciples on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've been to the Sea of Galilee a long, long time ago, and geography, geographers can tell us, suddenly, out of nowhere, a storm can whip up on that sea. And that's what happened. Jesus was watching, and his disciples were in trouble. And he, from the shore, starts to walk on the water out to them. Peter is looking out. Is that Jesus? I'm not sure. He decides to get out of the boat and he walks across. He starts to walk. Then suddenly he starts to sink and Jesus has to grab him. Why did he sink? Because he looked down and he took his eyes off Jesus. Let's look at this thought. Never allow the presence of a storm to cause you to doubt the presence of God. I read it again. Never allow the presence of a storm to cause you, me and you, to doubt the presence of God. It's Christmas time. We all know that. We can't get away from it. And I like to reread the Christmas story. And in Matthew and Luke, we see a messy scene. Shepherds, wise men, stables, it's not meant to be Pinterest. It's not meant to be perfect, okay? It's messy. It's havoc. And in the center of that mess, Emmanuel is born. Take a look at this spoken word. The Christmas story. How would you explain it? How would you picture Christmas if you could frame it? The nativity, right? Shepherds watching their flocks by night. Wise men trekking whilst tracking a sat-nav starlight with Mary and Joseph, humbled by the sight of little baby Jesus tucked in tight. That's Christmas, right? Propped up with straw and reeds and a tray of animal feed and cushioned in. Hey, I know it sounds quite cozy and nice, Reality was, there was no room for the little guy on that Bethlehem night. He kept in a cradle. Animals as roommates. I'm not trying to pick holes in the state of the place. I'm just saying the way they were staying was just short of space. We talk about entrance. His birth from a dress meant Jesus literally arrived in the mess. But less about the birthplace and the state of the floor. I mean, there's more to the Christmas story than the deck of straw. Flip forward eight days. In the temple, this little guy's the reason for praise. From the lips of a guy called Sim who's in his old age. For years, Sim waited in anticipation, but then the old met the new. My eyes have seen your salvation. The newborn Jesus from messy manger to a passing of the baton just eight days later, seeing the mess of the birth comes a new age. And what's more, the birth was foretold in a mess age. 
Which brings us back to the cast. At the nativity set, you see, it was a message that guided their stable footsteps. An angel postman popped round, said Mary'd found favour, a save the date declaration, you'll give birth to the saviour. He'd be son of the most high, born through the spirit, heir to David's throne, his reign without limit to Joseph. Call him Jesus, he really will bless, cause he came to save people from all their mess. To the shepherds, he's here to rescue. That's why he's come. The reason for good news of joy, he's the one. As for the wise men, they figured the news. They gave gifts and paid homage to little king of the Jews. See, God brought the message, so they entered the mess to see Jesus' arrival at the nativity set. But let's back up a sec. See, this rhetoric rings a bell. Back in the day, Isaiah waxed lyrical about a future, Emmanuel, God with us, one who'd be central to the story of forgiveness. So zoom out from the Christmas postcard, a message 700 years prior. He'll be a light to the searchers that spread salvation, says Isaiah. See, the angel's news, it wasn't new. In fact, these nativity messages echoed God's promises right through the ages. These messages read Jesus, speaking hope to the earth, predicting his arrival centuries before the birth. Thing is, when Christmas comes round, maybe there's a danger that we go Pinterest with Christmas and just pin up the manger in the nativity scene. It's like rating a whole film by watching one scene or thinking you know a novel because you had a quick look. So you get the whole story by skim reading one page in a book. And what I said before, about him born in the mess and the deck out of straw, maybe it could also be a metaphor for all the mistakes, all the messiness in life and what that creates, all the stuff in this world that just doesn't sit right. There was a reason he was born on that first Christmas night. He was born in the mess to make the wrong right. He's the message of hope. Because out of the mess, saw God name's birth that will certainly bless. Frame the stable, sure, but don't miss the picture. It was a message declared since the beginning of scripture. A war in the mess, but there's only one victor. A heel bruised, but be good news for sure. The very promise became flesh in that deck out of straw. See, from the mess comes a message and there's none that is higher. Because what follows the mess is I-A-H, mess, I am. I love that. And I hope you really enjoyed it because it really brought it home to me that... Jesus was born in a messy storm to make the wrong right. You know, life was looking good for Mary. She had met the man of her dreams, a carpenter. He had a great job. She was dreaming of having a family, maybe. Suddenly, a storm comes in the shape of a messenger from God, telling her she would give birth to Emmanuel. God is with us. She is so puzzled and she wrestles before God. Not wrestles with him, she wrestles before him. She asks questions. She doesn't doubt him, but she asks questions, asks for an explanation. Sometimes there never is an explanation. She hasn't had sex with Joseph. She wanted to wait till they were married. 
But this is her response in Luke. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. She knew with such certainty that God was her creator and her keeper. And so he deserved every bit of her service. We don't have the knowledge, the power or the right to tell God what he must do. Are we willing to trust God in the storm like Mary did? Are we able or willing to trust him with whatever, whatever he sends into our lives, whether we understand it or not? Mary puts her hope in God. Hope is not an emotion, but a way of thinking. Perhaps we say we believe in Jesus, but we have never said I am the Lord's servant. This is the Lord that Mary served. If Jesus holds everything that exists with just a word, is he the kind of person you ask into your life just to be your assistant? If he really is imprinted with God's image, how can I treat him as a consultant rather than as Supreme Lord? Let's look at Hebrews 1, verse 3. This is the one, this is Jesus, the writer of Hebrews talking about, imprinted with God's image, shimmering with his glory, sustains all that exists through the power of his word. He was seated at the right hand of God. Once he himself had made the offering that purified us from all sins. Mary in that storm surrendered her will to God, even knowing all she was being asked to do. She lived in a traditional society. From now on, people would think she was always the mother of an illegitimate child. They would think she'd had sex with Joseph before she'd been married, or she'd been unfaithful to her fiancé. Yet she still said, I am the Lord's servant. In other words, this may mean a life of disgrace or worst. Whatever comes, I accept it because God has gone before me. If you remember that thought I shared at the beginning, never allow the presence of the storm to cause you to doubt the presence of God. Storms can drive us into the arms of God and make him more and more our meaning, our identity, and our home. As the storm clears, we can come out more grounded, more resilient, and wiser people. Paul, in the New Testament, writes many letters, and most of them are about him telling us how difficult life is, how the storms we face, what trials we face. But he says they will cause us to grow as Christians. We can even have joy when going through them. That's a hard thought. But the joy he's talking about is not some fizzy feeling that goes away when a storm comes, but it is like a ballast. I've now looked at a ship manual. 
So a ballast is some heavy material made of iron or sand that is placed right in the hull, the bottom of a ship, and it keeps the ship upright in a storm. If we have Jesus in our life and are filled to overflowing with his Holy Spirit, we can have that ballast in our life as we go through the inevitable storms that will hit us. And in some mysterious way, and I do think we don't always know why, storms refine us like gold and they turn us inwardly and spiritually into something beautiful and great to God. Mary at 15 was at the bottom of the social ladder, and she went even lower when she said, I am the Lord's servant. Yet today, she is known all around the world as a woman of resilience, inner beauty, and strength. The truth is, like Peter, in the first story I told you, we all sink. And if, it's on, if I'm honest, and I'm going to be honest with you today, I found it hard at times to trust God completely in the storms that have happened to me. I've wrestled before him. Why does this have to happen again in our family? Why does this have to happen? I can't do it. But I know that when I anchor my whole being, my mind and my spirit, in God, my whole posture and my mood will change. It changes how you ride the storm out when you know who's in the boat with you. And I'm going to tell you this other story which really illustrates that. Again, the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. Again, a storm is happening. This time, Jesus is in the boat with them, but he's asleep. They're trying to wake him up. They're desperate. And he wakes up and he utters three words. Peace be still. And the storm stops, not just outside the boat, I believe, but the storm which was in the spirits of the disciples, their fear, stopped. Why did they experience such peace? Because Jesus was in the boat, speaking words of power over them. You see, real peace is not found in the absence of a storm. Peace is found in the presence of Jesus. Even the word peace has taken on a different meaning today. We think it just means the absence of war. Peace, man, from the 60s. Or as I keep being told by my boys especially, peace out, ma'am, peace out. But it's not really what that piece is about in the Bible. It comes from the Hebrew word meaning shalom. And I love this meaning. And I did, I'm not making this up, I did study Hebrew when I was at university with a rabbi. I find it quite easy because it's very like Welsh. Okay, just bear with me. But the real meaning of the word peace from the Hebrew root shalom is life, in mind, body, and spirit. It's a wholeness of life. The Jewish greeting, shalom, which Jewish people give to each other, means not just a hello. It means be full of well-being and completeness, so full that it spills from you to others. 
You know, Jesus does not promise us a trouble-free life. I'm sorry to say, when we follow him. He says in John 16 that we will have troubles and storms, but take heart because he has overcome them. Jesus offers victory and peace in the storm. You know, God does have a purpose. I often struggle with this one, but I do believe this one. God has a purpose in allowing us to go through a storm. We deepen our dependence on him and are a witness to those around that God is faithful and does not abandon us when the storm is at its height. When we reach the other side of a storm, we can also be a help and support to those going through similar tough times. We can stand with them, we can encourage them and share with them the gems that God has taught us through the storm. I look back on many of the storms I've experienced in my life, and I would never want to go there again. But I am thankful for the depth of faith and intimacy with God that the storms grew in me. We can't control when storms come. We can't control their length, what people say and do to us, but we can control who you believe. Never allow the presence of a storm to cause you to doubt the presence of God. I'm going to end with a true but tragic, hope-filled story of someone who faced the worst storm imaginable and his reaction to it. I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Horatio Spafford. Now, obviously, he's not my friend, but I wish I had actually known him, okay? He was a lawyer in Chicago. He had a wife, Anna, and four children. And in 1871, there was a fire that flattened the whole city of Chicago. And he and his family helped the refugees tirelessly, tirelessly for two years. They got so tired, they decided to go to Europe to have some rest. But as they were about to get on the steamship, Horatio Spafford was detained on business in Chicago and he waved his wife and four daughters off. Mid-Atlantic, there was a horrendous crash and only 27 people survived out of the hundreds on board. Anna survived, but her daughters did not. In Chicago, Horatio Spafford got a telegram saved alone. He set off to get Anna home. Mid-ocean, the captain let him know that this was the point. The steamship had sunk and his daughters had perished. He sat down on that steamship and wrote the classic hymn, which contains these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul.
Do you know, it was Horatio Spafford's love for God and his awareness of God's love for him that anchored him in that most terrible of storms. I pray that whatever our circumstances, wherever we find ourselves, we are able to say like him, it is well with my soul. So let's put our faith in the one who created the wind and the waves. True peace in the storm is found in the presence of God. God is with us in the storm always. Thank you. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.